G'day guys, Dan here and really excited about today's show. Today's guest, Michael Yardney, requires very little by way of introduction. Michael has been recognised as Australia's leading property investment advisor many, many, many times in a row. He runs Australia's largest buyer's agency, Metropole, is the best-selling author of many books and he writes regular columns for all of the mainstream property and business publications. I reached out to Michael, he's a friend of our business and a friend of the show. I really just wanted to pick his brains on this key issue that I'm hearing from so many of our buyer clients at the moment, and that is that there's just no stock available. There's no good quality housing stock available like there was towards the back end of last year, and that's frustrating a lot of our clients because they want to buy, they're ready to buy, but they just can't find the right property for them. Michael talks about off-market listings, or what he refers to in some cases as pre-market listings, and this can really open your eyes to so many properties that really just aren't made publicly available for sale on realestate.com.au or domain, and that's so important because when most people tell me that there's no stock available, that's really the only place that they're looking. So, by listening to today's podcast, you might actually find that there's a whole bunch of additional properties for sale that you didn't even know about. How can you go about finding them? Are they good properties to buy? Is it a safe method through which you can buy a property, etc.? Michael explains everything and he also provides some really good case studies. In addition to that, I just picked Michael's brain on, you know, the short-term downside risks associated with buying in a market whereby there's a slowing economy, lending restrictions, reduced overseas migration, um, the possibility of further unemployment, etc., etc. A lot of people are fearful about that and Michael provides context which can help people better kind of rationalise their own thought-making process in terms of tackling some of those challenges. He's got 40 years of experience. He's gone through the ups and downs of more cycles than pretty much anyone that's really active in the current market, and and therefore his um, viewpoints are are taken quite seriously. And lastly, I just wanted to kind of get Michael's response to what I'm also hearing from certain clients at the moment, which is this idea of, you know what, Dan, I'm keen to buy, I'm ready to buy, but I'm thinking that I'm just going to wait 6 to 12 months before buying. Let's see how this coronavirus thing plays out. I bet you if I wait a bit longer, I'll pick the bottom of the market and I'll really be able to pick myself up a bargain. So what does Michael have to say in response to that? I think you'll find his comments quite illuminating. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this terrific conversation today with Michael Yardney. Here's to your success in property, finance and money management. You're listening to The Long Property Show with your hosts, Daniel Gold and Patrick Lynch. Welcome back to another episode of The Long Property Show. I'm Dan Gold, and today we're going to be talking about probably the biggest issue that I'm hearing from our buyer clients at the moment, those trying to buy houses, and that is there's just no stock out there, Dan. All the good quality properties in particular have really dried up. So so in today's show, we're going to investigate this in more detail and we're going to discuss off-market listings. 
which seem to have become very popular lately and may be skewing some of the listing data. According to CoreLogic listings, listings are now down 35% in comparison to the same time last year, and they're in fact 43% down from our five-year average. So to help explain what's going on, I've got Michael Yardney on the show today, Chief Executive at Metropole Property Strategists. How are you going today, Michael? Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Dan. We're both doing the right thing respectfully, socially distancing. <laughs> That's right. We're obviously online, but uh, very much appreciate your time in joining us today and really look forward to having a chat on uh, some off-market listings and, and helping our clients who um, are really concerned that they want to buy, but uh, they don't necessarily have a lot to choose from. Well, at the moment, there are a few more off-market properties, but let's be honest, they're not off-market. They are what I'd call pre-market properties. Properties that industry insiders like buyers agents have access to before they hit the market. In some ways, I see this as a bit of clever marketing at the moment, rather than anything new. I mean, at Metropole, we've always had about 50% of all the properties we're buying, Dan, have been what I'd call pre-market opportunities, what some call off-market. In the month of March, just gone 70% and in April, 60% of the properties we bought were what people would like to call off-market. And there are a number of factors leading to more of these off-market properties. Vendors are not keen to spend a lot of money advertising in this uncertain market. And there's certain older sellers, maybe a bit more nervous about having too many people traipsing through their properties. So they're saying to the agents, look, if you can find me a client without me wasting money advertising and without lots of neighbours and onlookers work, walking through, then I'd be prepared to sell. Interesting. I mean, th there's definitely that kind of health risk that you talk about in, in terms of people coming through your home that, that, that you know, present the health risk. But then, um, you know, you've touched on the the costs involved in a typical sales campaign with, with certain people in, in the current environment can understandably uh, may want to avoid. But then there's also just that risk, I suppose, of an unsuccessful listing. And if you, um, you know, unsuccessfully list your property, that could be disadvantageous at a future point in time if you were ever to attempt another sale. That's a good point because people wonder, what was wrong with that? Why mm. didn't it sell? And Dan, the most common reason is the vendor has asked too much. Every property sells on the main roads in the main corners the secondary properties they always seem to find a buyer i mean there's no dud property sitting around with no one in them around in the capital cities of australia so it's usually poor presentation poor marketing but most likely just the the wrong price interesting now now michael i just want to pick up on one point that you mentioned there before uh, something like up to 60 or 70% of the properties that Metropole may um, typically buy for clients could be via these off-market or, as you've described, pre-market um, opportunities. But I want to better understand what percentage of the total properties that are actually available for sale might be via this, um, you know, off-market mechanism. For example, if I'm looking um, for, for homes that are available for sale in Turak and I'm seeing you know, 25 homes currently available, could it be that there 
are actually 50 homes available for sale in Turak, half of which just literally aren't listed on the internet? Well, because they're silent sales, not advertised, no one knows the real figures. But let me go back a step. I mentioned this concept of pre-market. When somebody sees a selling agent and they list their property for sale, in other words, sign up and say, help me sell, what tends to happen is the agent has a two, three-week period where they get things ready. So they get the photographers out, they do the board uh, up the writing for the words and the board and for the advertising, they get a floor plan, they get photographs done. And during that period, the selling agent has this what I call pre-market opportunity to ring his A-list of potential purchases. And the way selling agents in an office work is there is a listing agent, somebody who gets the listing into the property, signs up the vendor, and then there are other agents in the same office or sometimes even the same network who've got access to that property. And if somebody else brings a buyer in, the listing agent has to share his commission. So the first thing a listing agent will do is ring his A-class clients and then his B-clients and you see, and then he'll tell the other people in the office who'll ring their A-clients and their B-clients. In other words, clients who are hot or buyers agents who've always got somebody looking in that area. And all this happens in that one to two, three weeks while the marketing campaign gets going. And that's the pre-market opportunity. To be honest, if the selling agent has a property to tell you about, it's really not off market. And that's why I'm saying mm-hmm. it's a fancy term to make people sound, uh, make things sound special. But no, it's always been around that way, Dan. It's really interesting. The, the, the other key point which, which this all um, kind of leads to is that you have to be connected with the sales agent to even know about any of these properties. And the person that's um, you know, looking for a house to buy, quote unquote, but, but is literally just, let's say, um, you know, passively on, on realestate.com.au or domain, they're going to have no idea about any of these opportunities that are actually available. There's nothing new about the fact that insider knowledge in real estate gives people an advantage. When I first started many years ago, there wasn't the internet and so therefore you actually had to meet the agent and insider knowledge about sales, about transactions that have occurred, about values that are occurring was very important. Nowadays, people think that, oh, I've got access to real estate com and domain and so therefore I know the same as everyone else. No, you don't. Searching for a property is not the same as research. And then having industry contacts isn't the same either. So therefore, if you're just somebody who's occasionally looking and if the right thing comes up, I'll go past it, you're not the person that the agent is going to ring with this, let's call them pre-market or off-market opportunities. The thing though is then, New properties are continuously being listed for sale. I remember you at the beginning of this chat talking about what's going on and the number of new properties coming onto the market, as you say, are considerably less than 12 months ago. And remember, 12 months ago uh, it was leading up to the federal election, so even then things were a bit quiet. But around 4,000 properties were newly listed for sale in both Melbourne and Sydney last month. 
Now, this was down 18% from 12 months ago. Uh, in Sydney, 27% from the month before. But there's still properties coming up. There are about 18,000 properties for sale at present in Sydney. There's about 22,000 properties listed for sale in Melbourne. Now, again, this is down 20 30% from 12 months ago. But there's also considerably fewer buyers around looking at stock as well. So, Yes, there is a shortage of good properties, as you said, but there are still properties because there are two sorts of buyers and two sorts of sellers, discretionary sellers and non-discretionary. And I actually wanted to- I don't actually have- Yeah. Uh, sorry to cut in there, Michael, but I, but that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. I mean, with, with some of these properties that are, um, you know, uh, 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 pre-listing, like, like you say, um, can you distinguish between- um, you know, whether the majority of those sellers might be discretionary or, um, you know, forced sellers, or um, is it really just a, a random bag, not dissimilar to what you might find on the internet? Well, discretionary sellers are people who can choose to or not. And you'd be crazy to choose to sell your property today unless you had to. But the fact that you had to doesn't mean that you're forced. Let me put it this way. There's people who bought a few months ago who have to sell today. There's people who sold a few months ago who have to buy today. In general, buyers are sellers and sellers are buyers. Not property investors, but um, 70% of transactions occur through home buyers who have a trade into put back into the market, so to speak. First home buyers don't and investors don't. So, there are also other personal circumstances, deaths, divorce, getting a new job, having a baby, changing a family. So the majority of people putting their properties on the market today are non-discretionary. They have a reason why they have to, but it's not necessarily forced sales of mortgagee sales. You'd know better than me that at the moment the banks are giving their clients uh, holidays uh, of uh, repayments, of mortgages. So no one wants to take over properties. There's really very few distressed sales. There's very few forced mortgagee sales. And where they're occurring is not in our capital cities, but in still in the mining towns of Western Australia and, and some of the unfortunate first home buyers who've overcommitted themselves, but the banks are still trying to help them. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So, Michael, um, you, you know, obviously, we're talking about a lower of number list uh, of listings, um, uh, but then you were just saying that that's counted by a lower uh, bu uh, a lower buyer pool. Are you seeing, therefore, that um, you know they're effectively offsetting one another, and therefore less sellers, less buyers, typically means that prices are are holding up. Let's say in the the, the major capital cities of of Melbourne and Sydney. Better quality well, the most well, sorry to overtalk you. The most recent statistics from CoreLogic have suggested that there's a significant fall in transactions and there's a significant fall in new properties being listed for sale, but there's only been a really small fall in values of properties that have transacted. Now, sure, the ones reported now were transacted a couple of weeks ago, but we've been in this lockdown for six, eight weeks now. It's really started in the middle of March. And so on that basis, I think there has been, if there was going to be a flow and effect, it would have shown through. Having said that, there's not one property market in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane. There's not one property market even in the same suburb. There's houses, there's apartments, there's uh, different locations. So A-grade homes 
and investment-grade properties are holding their own. And I believe over the next little while will fall in value, probably about 5%. I believe that secondary properties, B-grade properties, they're the ones that are going to fall more in value, uh, 5%, sorry, more like 10 to 15%. And C-grade properties, no one wants to buy them at the moment. So currently, Dan, there's a flight to value. There's a flight to quality, I should say, at the moment, which means that people are not going to buy secondary properties. But for good properties, there tends to be a couple of buyers still for each of those. When we're out buying for clients at the moment, uh, there is still competition. And interestingly, over the last couple of weeks since the lockdown, both my sister and one of my daughters had to sell because they'd bought something else and uh, the environment was more challenging and the agents could only show one person through at a time. Having said that, they both got above their reserve, their preferred price, because there were multiple people looking for the properties. So at this point, property values haven't fallen, but one would be a bit foolish to think that the lower consumer confidence and just the challenges going on at the moment wouldn't cause the value of some properties to fall moving forward. Mm. Well, that's great. I mean, and I, I did want to specifically ask you, Michael, about perhaps a, a couple of case studies that, that you could share with me. But um, uh, just while we're on that topic of your sister and your daughter. Um, similarly, uh, my wife and I personally bought a family home. Um, we bought in December. Uh, so prior to the, um, you know, these these headwinds relating to, to coronavirus and, and not dissimilar to the point I think that you're trying to make there with respect to your, your um, family members uh, and selling, you know, I, I feel like we've bought very well despite um, buying quote unquote at um, uh, an inopportune time or at the top of this recent market cycle. The point being that, um, you know, it's not clearly about just theoretically timing the market. If you can buy or sell well in any given market um, from a financial perspective, you're probably no worse off. Good point. So at the moment, people are thinking, is it the right time to buy? And in my mind, Dan, that's the wrong question. The reason they're asking that question is they don't want to buy now finding that the property is available in three months' time for less. So it's not really, is it the right time? They're questioning, is this the right price and would I save money, make money if I waited longer? And the answer is, if it's your own home, I think it's a good time to upgrade when it's very likely that the more expensive house will have dropped a little bit more in value than yours, as long as you've got the finance right and as long as you've um, got, got the financial security in your job uh, as long, and as, I guess as long as you can find the, uh, an appropriate property to move to. And same for investors, it's, it's a good time. But don't expect a bargain because if you suddenly get a bargain at the moment, there's probably a reason nobody else wants it at the moment because I know we were just speaking before we started that both your business looking for, for finance for people, which is getting them ready to get going, and our business where we're actually seeing clients who are ready to, to buy properties, they're still busy. The young investors and the young first homeowners are maybe a little bit nervous at the moment, but more strategic, long-term thinking investors are back in the market, and so are some well-off home buyers looking to take advantage of this cocoon that we're living in for a short time longer. But yeah. you asked about some case studies, so I'd be more than happy to share two examples that we you bought recently. That, that'd be excellent. Go for it. Well, I actually asked my team about this, and they were both uh, examples in Brisbane. So one is a property in 
the suburb of Cannon Hill in Queensland that we bought for $700,000. Now, it would usually sell for closer to $720,000. So this was an off-market property. And as I said, it was a bit of a discount, but not a huge discount. And you'd wonder why you'd get it if it was. So uh, this was occupied at this point by, and let me say it courteously, a little old lady who was ready to move into a retirement home sooner rather than later. And with COVID-19, she didn't want people coming through her home for inspections. So the selling agent contacted my Metropole team in Brisbane, knowing that we usually got a number of qualified buyers ready to act. And so we secured the property at a good price. Um, We were able to put in the the contract because it's a bit different in Queensland where you don't have a vendor statement that it was subject to satisfactory inspection and the lady, uh, the vendor was allowing us to uh, get building and pest inspections through. And so once uh, that was all done, our clients got themselves a great property with little or no competition for a bit less than we would have got a while ago. And at a price, when they look back in a year's time, they're going to think, hey, that wasn't a bad deal. Mm-hmm. The other Makes one sense. was interestingly a, for investors, and this was a property which had long-term tenants in it. And at the moment, it's difficult to do inspections for properties that, that are being occupied. And this was in the suburb of Stafford in Queensland. And again, we bought it about 30000 under the value that we would have uh, been able to buy it before. And interestingly, it allowed our clients, our investor clients, to purchase in a better suburb than they would have maybe been able to before. And what we've been doing is we make contact with agents on our database. We tell them what our clients' requirements are. Uh, And the vendors had approached the selling agent. Uh, They wanted to sell. They had to sell. But the current tenant in the property is locked until February 2021. It's a great owner-occupier location. So that ruled out the majority of buyers because the majority of people who would have wanted to buy in that area wouldn't have, couldn't have waited till mm. February next year to move in. So the agent was able to let us go through the property privately. In other words, they made sure that the tenant wasn't there, so they allowed us to go through. And because of the interesting situation, we were able to negotiate our terms and buy the property at a good price. So there's two good examples of off-market opportunities because we're on the short dial of a number of selling agents. Mm. And, and I mean, it just seems to be a win-win-win style of scenario, right? The the buyer is buying with, with limited, if any, competition. The, the vendor is exiting the property um, at, a, at a fair and reasonable price in an in a, uh, efficient, discreet kind of way. And, and the sales agent kind of ties the two together and, and um, you know, d- does his or her job. Well, Really, if you're in the market at the moment and you don't take advantage of the current uncertainty and the current crisis, shame on you because basically you're not going to have a window of opportunity like this again for a long time. But Dan, I'm currently seeing three groups of people. There are some people who are only thinking in the here and now. They're worried, they're concerned about what's going on, the world's going to end. And unfortunately for some people, they've lost their jobs, they've had uh, having financial difficulties. So I understand that. The trouble is these people who are in a bit of panic mode and thinking about fear 
are, are having lots of challenges at the moment. There's a whole lot of others who are just hunkering down. They're buying the pasta and the, the, the spaghetti, and, and, and they're just going to ride it through. But then there's a small group of people, they're property investors, they're business people, they're entrepreneurs, who are strategically positioning themselves to move forward. And I know before we started this chat, you were telling me off air that you're seeing lots of clients in your business who are getting ready to get moving and get going so that they're going to get set. Because sometime between now and the end of the year, early next year, we're going to cross the survival line, Jan. I don't know whether it's going to be in six weeks or six months, but where greed and opportunity is going to overcome the fear that's currently happening at the moment. That's that proverbial bridge that the government's talking about, and I think it's going to be here sooner rather than later. So I think it's opportune for people to get set to take advantage of the opportunities. The trouble is when they read about those opportunities, when they read the property values are up again, when they read we're back to normal auctions again, when they read that the values of properties are going up, that's when clients of yours and mine have already bought their properties to push up those values, Dan. So get ahead and think positively, get set for this opportunity. Makes sense. So, so Michael, I mean, obviously you touched on this earlier, but but it's another key question that – or, or I, I should say, a key kind of attitude or response that, that you do hear uh, in a lot of, um, you know, buyer conversations and whatnot at the moment, and that is uh, I'm just going to wait for, say, three to six to nine months and really just kind of let, let a bit more pain inflict in, in this uh, down market before uh, transacting. Not necessarily, you know, those um, strategic investors that you're talking about, but, but um, you know, other people that, that, that we're connected with. What is the key message for them? Um, and, and, and what's your response to the let's just delay and wait and see kind of um, approach? Well, it hasn't worked in the past. At the moment, there's 25 million property experts in Australia. Everyone knows something about property. And then there's those experts chasing a headline who are saying property values are going to drop 10%, 20%, 30%. The problem is there are some reasonably high-profile commentators who've said that as well. But interestingly, it's one of the scenarios they give. So one of the highly quoted ones who quoted 30% said, if we have a prolonged recession and the world goes into a recession and this goes for multi-years, property values could drop 30%, but it's not my most likely scenario. I'm just giving you one of four scenarios available, but that's the one that the media picks and gets the headlines. And they don't put in the word property values could drop 30% because that's an extra word to put in the subject line, the headline. So they say property values drop 30% and it sounds even more impressive. Yeah. The, the, the base case, now, though, in, in that same um, article, if I'm not mistaken, or, or that same piece of um, uh, re research was analysis to suggest that if the um, health risk is minimised and uh, the economy uh, re returns to uh, a, a closer level of normality, then um, prices could even rise. Well, very much so. So the question I'm asking is where do these people who say, I'm going to wait six months, 12 months, 18 months to move forward, where are they getting their information from? Where are they getting their advice from? What are they basing it on? And as I said at the beginning, it really isn't as much about time as how much more will property values fall? Because the theory is more people unemployed, fewer people being able to get finance, more uncertainty means less demand. 
And on that basis, property value should drop if there isn't as much demand. And while that's a logical argument, looking back at the global financial crisis, which wasn't that long ago, or the recession we had to have in the 1990s, our research shows that unemployment crept up and stayed up for a while and took two or three years to get back to regular figures. And that's what the Reserve Bank's suggesting this time too, Dan, that it's going to take another three years for unemployment to get down to 4%, 4.5% what they're wanting. But our research also showed that prior to that happening, after the initial dip, property values rose very, very quickly. In the recession we had to have in the early 90s, and I invested through that, um, Melbourne property values dropped about 5%, but the other states, they didn't. Melbourne had a terrible, terrible recession. Having said that, this time round, how long it's going to, we're going to be locked up for, how long uh, it's going to be till our economy kickstarts again, how high unemployment rates go, will make a difference to how far property values will drop. But I wouldn't try and pick the bottom because those who tried to do it a year ago before and then after the election in the middle of last year, they got it wrong. Timing, even the smart people always get the timing wrong. And those are the people who are looking for reasons not to buy as opposed to looking for reasons they should buy, Dan. Yeah, look, it, it, it makes complete sense. And, and um, like you say, for those that are worried about um, you know, more infections or, or a slowing economy and lending restrictions, that there's always a reason to, to, to for those people to be turned off. It's almost like they found a reason before they even really strategically um, uh, you know, want to address the issue. And uh, like you say, history is, is, is working against them. That's right. Very interesting. Just lastly, Michael, perhaps before we, we kind of conclude, any other kind of data or insights that, that you've seen through Metropole, uh, you know, a business that's buying literally hundreds of properties for clients nationwide? Well, as I said, there's three groups of people and you've got to decide which one you want to be in. Are you one somebody who's got a, a short-term focus. And unfortunately, for some people who are in current financial troubles because they haven't got a job or their business is closed down, unfortunately, they don't have a lot of choice. But if you have a secure job, because even your unemployment gets to 20%, and the ABS figure will never get that high. But if you take into account underemployment and part-time employment, very likely 20% of our population are going to be underemployed or unemployed, but that still means 80% of the population are going to have a job and have a level of financial security. And if you're in that group, what you've got to do is learn lessons from the past that in every economic slump, in every downturn, there's been a significant transfer of wealth. Now, before people get offended and say, oh, we shouldn't take advantage of other people during these times, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm saying take advantage of opportunities, not of people. See, at the moment, uh, there's just a shift in the way we're doing things. So if you think it's a zero-sum game, if I win, somebody's going to lose, then I can understand why you think that way. But at the moment, what we're suggesting is if somebody wants to sell their home, and there's no other buyer there, and you're actually helping them move on with their life, that's not taking advantage of them. Uh, your job is to get the best deal for yourself and still be courteous to the other side. 
But I think when people look back, we're making history. We're in a time of history. Your grandchildren, mine are older. <laughs> you, you, I know your, your baby's still reasonably young, but your grandchildren are going to learn about this, Dan, and they're going to learn at school what these people did during 19, uh, sorry, during 2020, um, through this terrible worldwide pandemic of COVID-19. Hopefully, you're also going to hear the story that, hey, my father, my grandfather took advantage of the opportunity and set himself up by buying the sort of property that he couldn't have afforded a year ago and two years later thought, gee, that was a good deal. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, Michael, final question for me and and really just kind of after some some further insights, if if nothing else, and I, I suppose bringing it back to some of these um, off-market or, or pre-market opportunities where, where we started our conversation. I'd love if you could just elaborate um, on what goes into building these relationships with real estate agents and, um, you know, why is it that when a real estate agent has a, a, a property, they might um, immediately, say, call on some some buyer's agents that they've developed good relationships with because occasionally you do hear clients that just say, oh, well, there's no harm in me kind of making some um, – you know, building some contacts up myself in, in that space to get access to those pre-market listings? Well, a selling agent, a real estate agent, is basically selling their time. They're selling clients' properties, but basically they've got a very limited commodity of their time. Now, over the last couple of years, some selling agents became a little bit lazy because when life was easy, they'd have an open for inspection and all of a sudden a swarm of people would come through and they had potential buyers. But most more experienced agents have learned the importance of having contacts because if they can make it more efficient. Now, remember, their job is still to get the best price for their clients. So I'm not suggesting that isn't their main intention, but they want to do it in the most time efficient way. So if they contact a buyer's agent who is active in that area, they know that they're leveraging their time because many Buyers agents have a couple of clients, and in our team, being Australia's largest buyers agent, we've got a bigger range of clients. So, in other words, they're more likely to get a potential buyer or a couple of potential buyers. So, it saves them standing in front of open for inspections when you can't even do it easily at the moment. So, the agents are doing it because it makes their life easier and leverages their time. Like a year ago, they would have just had an auction and just got everybody into the room at the same time. But then how do you build relationships with these people? The answer is the average person transacts a property every five to seven years being their home. And with investments, they may do it one, two, three times in their whole lifetime. It is really hard to build that sort of relationship with somebody when you're just the same as every other potential home buyer or investor in that suburb. You're a one-off transaction compared to professionals who are in the market regularly and uh, therefore it just makes more sense. The other thing is that as a buyer's agent, you actually speak a different language. Buyer's agents, there's a whole lot of new ones who actually it's easy to become a buyer's agent today, Dan. You can actually become a buyer's agent quicker than you can become a nail manicurist. And that's a little bit of a concern, bit quicker than you can become a barista because people do a one-month course and think they know all about real estate. But for the more experienced agents, they're able to speak the same language, the buyer's agents to the selling agents. And selling agents will tell them things that they wouldn't tell 
a non-industry insider. So this is an occasion where insider knowledge is not illegal like it would be in the stock market, and it actually levels the playing field. The seller has somebody on their side representing them. Why shouldn't you have somebody on your side representing you? Makes so much sense. And, and I mean, we've seen over the years hundreds of clients use buyers advocates, yours and others, very successfully. Um, we've personally used um, great buyers advocates on a number of occasions with, with great success. And I just think now is is a better opportunity than ever to engage a, a, a good agent because, um, you know, people are complaining about there not being a lot of stock on the internet. And, and this is one surefire way of, of solving that issue. That's um, very yeah, much. And there are some important. very I'm sorry to interrupt. There are some very, very good professionals in the industry. So when I made fun of some of the newcomers who've been doing it for a short while and they're enthusiastic amateurs, if you're making such a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar decision buying a new home or investment, get a real professional on your side. There are some very, very good ones. Um, and it's an investment. It's a form of insurance. It's not an expense, in my opinion. All the smart investors and business people I know do have mentors and consultants that they're prepared to pay for, while the average Australian um, gets their advice for free, uh, and you can see where that gets them. Fantastic, Michael. Well, look, summary on my part, um, you know, for all the clients out there that are a little bit kind of um, uh frustrated by the lack of stock uh, hopefully we've given them some some ideas today um, and some avenues that they can further explore to to help solve that issue um i'll uh, i'll leave some some notes in in my little kind of write-up as to where people can contact michael and his team if they've got any questions but uh, michael it's been a, a real pleasure thanks so much for your time and uh keep healthy and well it's always fun thank you for having me on your show dan talk to you soon thanks michael Thanks for listening to another episode of The Long Property Show. If you have any questions for Dan or Patty, you can email hi at longproperty.com.au and they'll respond within 24 hours. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and also leave us a review. This way we can continue bringing you the best weekly content possible. See you again next week. Bye for now.